Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today for the fourth time is dear friend of the show, Patrick Miller. This is going to be Two Pats in a Pod, Volume 3. I know that was confusing. Uh, Patrick Miller, welcome to the show. Uh, I've taken a little bit of a two-week hiatus uh, from the podcast since the election. To be honest, I was just a little bit burnt out. You know, needed some time off. And I reached out to you and you agreed to do this on kind of short notice. for anybody listening that's unfamiliar, if I haven't seen what you've done in the past, Two Pats in a Pod was something that came up. Originally, that was going to be the podcast, me and you talking about different things. We talked about this with you in the barber chair. And, uh, you know, we're, we're busy lives and it's it's difficult to, to create any type of two-part person show. It's a lot easier to get it done on my own. So that's the direction I went. But it's... Uh, you're gracious enough to be a guest here and there, and I always enjoy our conversations. So, Pat, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. I, I just got my hair cut, so, I mean, that was one of those things where, you know, you've been uh, very gracious in your uh, barbershop activities to be able to allow us to still come in and be very safe and not look like, you know, 1960s country Western stars. So, it's, yeah. it's good. A lot of people are waiting a lot longer between cuts, that's for sure. So I'm doing a lot of fix-it cuts. We call them quarantine cuts. Yeah, it's been yeah. an interesting year. Uh, we're all ready for for this vaccine, hopefully. We're, you know, we'll talk about that in a bit. Before we get yeah. started, I want to mention uh, a shout-out to my title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro. Uh, Oregon Cashflow Pro offers free money management advice videos on YouTube. So make sure to, on Facebook, go follow Oregon Cashflow Pro. And then on YouTube as well, subscribe to Oregon Cashflow Pro. Shout out to James Barber. So let's just get started. It's right. So it's been three weeks or going on three weeks since the election. It feels like it's been longer. Uh, You know, you and I had had many conversations on the show at different points. I think you've actually been on more than four times now that I think about it. You did the panel that we did on the impeachment as well. Right. uh, Right. You know, we we kind of ripped into you because you were talk, talking about the moderate, how that was how that was the the thing that the country needed at the time, and uh, you were right. You know, so uh, we're yeah. I'm here to, I'm here to eat crow. So tell me, no, what, no I, I mean it's fun. So tell me a little bit about uh, why it was early on in the process that you thought Biden, even though he was doing bad, you know, pre uh, Jim Clyburn's endorsement and then South Carolina why you thought Biden was going to pull out the victory, you know, tell me about why. Well, it's interesting is that I was writing regularly on a, on a blog called cranky old and was very active in the last election. This election, I realized that it was almost spitting in the ocean in a lot of respects, because I had so many different people in different, you know, uh, media that were I was having to deal with, I just stopped writing. The last thing I really wrote that was talking about this issue had to do right after the Iowa uh, election, or Iowa caucuses. And at that point, I laid out a point-by-point reason why Biden was going to win, going back to uh, the previous election, going back to how you can't trust the polls, but also saying clearly it's going to come down to six states and it's going to be a 3% run at the end of this thing. I don't care what the polls say. And it was 
a little creepy, quite frankly, to go back and read that and realize how close I was, with the exception of a couple of states being different. I mean, uh, I did not predict Georgia. I did not predict Arizona. But what it came down to was that he had to, anyone that was there had to go out and actually campaign in those six states, which they did. Uh, that was something Hillary did not do. They actually had to reach out and find the moderate voters that swung over to Trump uh, away from Hillary for whatever reasons those were. And he did that. He found a way to do that. And he had to be very careful to distance himself away from the socialism bit, because that is something that's one of the hot buttons that the Republicans use to energize their base. And we saw it happen time and time again. And my biggest concern was it was going to end up being far too left and we were going to get hammered. But if Biden could, could go and make it work, it was going to be great. The turning point for me actually was Virginia, because that was the first primary that they had where there was not a, it wasn't a, a, a I can't remember what the term is. You, you could vote openly. If you were a Democrat, you could vote for a Republican, et cetera, et cetera. Open primary? It wasn't like ours. We closed the, yeah, the, the, the elections here are, are closed primaries. So there, Biden killed it. That's, that was his first really big one. Yeah, everybody talks about South Carolina, but, but Virginia was the one where he really just annihilated everybody. And it was because he had a ton of Republicans that came over and voted for him. So what we saw, I think, was a slow but sure migration of Republicans that voted for Biden because they could. They could, in their heart, realize there's a way to make this happen. And frankly, you know, as we can look at it now, he's the only candidate that could have won at this point. And it, yeah, kind I of, mean, I, I'm not a huge Joe Biden fan, but he's the only candidate that could have won. Right. I noticed your hat. You Go can ahead, probably your hat. It, it says uh, by dawn. So it, a lot of a lot of this election was uh, more about Trump than it was about Biden. You know, and and. I think for a lot of Republicans, the, the Lincoln project was pretty effective. Uh, you know, that was, what's his face? Steve, I can't remember his last name right now, but uh, he's the one that was the campaign manager for John McCain. That is one of the founders of the Lincoln project. And those ads that were anti-Trump. Well, and Kellyanne, Con Kellyanne Conway's husband. Right, right. George <laughs> Conway. George Conway. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, you know, in these the ads, I mean, yeah. I have to give them credit. One of the things in your bio that I'm going to be putting in the show notes, I, you know, copy paste, copy pasted from last time is that you talk <laughs> about country over party, you know, and it's something that we have lost right now on the current Republicans as a, as a whole is that it's all about Donald Trump. And we're going to talk a little bit about that when we talk more about the division in the country. Right now, I kind of want to recap the election, even though people are We've done this ad nauseum. It's just I wanted to kind of set the tempo uh, for our discussion with a little talk about it. You know, so uh, I think everybody knows that the reason that Biden was able to prevail was that there was a serious coalition built of all the progressives turned out, didn't protest vote, all of the moderates, obviously, that were already supporting him. And then you had, uh, you know, the greatest turnout for the black vote. And then also you had uh, moderate Republicans that were anti-Trump or that were just fed up with Trump. A lot of people yeah. voted for Trump. Still, I think it's it's alarming to see that 70 million people or 71 million people still voted for him. But I think there's different reasons people will hold their nose because they care only about one thing and it's their pocketbook. And to them, they believe that it's the economy's... Well, there's... It's a big part of it. I think it's more... Yeah, I just divide them up. Yeah, it if you want to, if you want to go, there was a, we have a little bit of a delay, a little bit of lag there. So I don't mean to talk over you. If I'm if I'm talking over you, it's just because I want to talk over you. So anyway, That's I'm fine. joking. <laughs> anyway, um, um, I divide them up into three chunks. I divide Republicans up into three chunks. I have the pocketbook voters, which is clearly some of them. They are the folks that are my 401k looks great. I am a Republican. I I want to keep that going. That's that's one chunk. The evangelical, I'm finding, finding an excuse to vote against the Democrats, is the, is the middle chunk. And they're the ones that are 
will find an issue, a hot button, whether it's abortion or gay rights or whatever. It's the same people that you can divide a room up with every single time. Those people are um, can't back anything up with Trump. That's the insane point, is that they really can't support Trump as a Christian or anything else like that. But it comes down to their own thing of knowing that, well, this is easier. I'm going to go this direction. You know, this is the hot button that gets me going. And then I hate to say this, but I saw a ton of this in even own my own um, oh, high school groups and things like that. There's a group that's a third of the people that are that are Second Amendment whack jobs carrying around the ARs and everything else. But there's that group is mostly put off by the intelligence of the left. And I know that's a bold statement, but these people are relatively illiterate. They do not follow the, any of the, the actual uh, issues that are, that are taking place. And they are easily manipulated into the team sport mentality. My team, my team, my team. And those guys are the ones that are showing up on the doorsteps of the state houses, et cetera. But it's a small percentage, quite frankly. I mean, it's I, a, I wouldn't even, you maybe say, a third. You say a third. And I think that the Second Amendment wing of the Republican Party is a broad swath. There's a lot of different people. I want to make that caveat that there's a lot of different people. Yeah that in that group, because I mean, I have one who is a, not only a friend, is a sponsor of the show, Jake Williams. I don't know how he votes, to be fair. We don't really go that deep, but I know that he's a very strong supporter of the Second Amendment. He may not follow the issues closely, but he is a reasonable, sensible human being. You know, so, so I, I agree with, with the basis of what you're saying. But, but he's I, in the middle swath there. Right. And, and he's also willing he's to in that middle swath, Patrick, because right. the middle swath is a, is a, it picks one issue and drives that track home. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know how he votes. I'm just throwing it out there that there's people we're going to talk about this more when we get into the division, because we're going to talk about how, how it's going to be possible to heal some of these wounds and, and bridge the divide, but we'll get to that in a bit. You know, one of the things about this election is, is that, it's there's only few Republicans that are calling Biden president elect. And so I think there's like four or five now. Mitt Romney's been very vocal with uh, his, you know, disdain for what Trump is doing because it's dividing the country like no other. Uh, the Trump transition. I mean, do you what kind of damage do you think it's doing to the to the at least the first hundred days of Biden's administration by Trump being unwilling to transition? Well, here's the thing about Biden, and one of the reasons I got behind him is that he's been through this before. Um, the transition they went through in 2008 during the middle of what was almost a, another depression. These guys hit the ground running. They have teams already put together. They've been doing this for months, quite frankly, not weeks, but months. They have teams put together for all of the things that are the hot buttons. They're not getting the actual daily reports, but let's be honest. Trump never read them anyway. It, it doesn't matter. So I, I think that the damage is more, um, you know, from an optics point of view for the general public. It's like, we're not going to give up. We're not going to give up. Hey, he's our president, blah, blah, blah. That part of it is damaging. But at some point on, on January 20th, there's going to be a transition and the Republicans and everybody else are going to have to do what they're going to do. The concern, the one I keep hearing about over and over again is the security briefings, but I have a sneaking suspicion with the number of former security, uh, Republican security heads that are on the, uh, the Biden wagon at this point, I'm guessing that he's getting a lot more information. I don't think it's as damaging as we think it, it, it may be. Um, but I think that what we're going to see is Biden hitting the ground running with a full cadre of groups and committees and everybody ready to get to work because it's going to be a shit show. Let's be honest. Oh, with yeah. It. Yeah. And it was going to going to be anyway. I mean, yeah, you know, and it just it's just so frustrating because Trump's whole strategy is to just destroy the traditions in in American government. And so with when you saw with Bush and Obama, who couldn't be more different as, as presidents that mm -hmm. they were chummy together that works for the Trump narrative that like, you know, the elite. So it's like, if you go against what he's about, 
then he just says, yep, you're trying to destroy the country. And it's like, what are you talking about? This has been what the country's been. So it's funny yeah. because progressives, there's nobody that the Republican Party hates more than progressives. You call them socialists, whatever you want to say. Yet, right. yet they want to completely change the tradition of America into being something different. It's so mind boggling right. that they right. can look at it like, oh, my God, how dare these people threaten? I mean, I guess slowly America's progressed into this kind of different thing but that's what it was designed to do is to be constantly working towards improving a union you we're know. being forced into it by by circumstance we're not being proactive that's the problem we have is that whether it's climate change or or swapping over our economy or going back to the the real the reality of a global economy that we had before you know trump tried to dismantle it these are the changes that are going to happen because we're being forced into them. You know, we're, we're looking at serious end of world stuff over the next 30 to 50 years if we don't really get on it now. And some people say it's too late. But the Trump thing, I think we're going to look back on it as a complete abomination. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be talked about for a long time. But Trump is all about Trump. He's about chaos and creating chaos and being getting good ratings and creating his own reality and that's it the more that this comes out that he doesn't go to briefings he, I mean, he hasn't been to a briefing for the coronavirus in what four months or something now three months four months it's been a long time a hundred days at least so you know we're talking about a administration that's going to come in that not only listens and is proactive and has real plans and will be able to to take anything that Trump gives them. I mean, the, the, uh, I've blown out what the stupid term is that he uses for the miracle that he's doing for the, uh, for the vaccinations. Oh, operation warp speed. There we go. The warp speed. Yeah. So the deal is, is that, yeah, he set free a bunch of people, but he also had Bill Gates and a bunch of other people behind it. And they, they, they did what they said they're going to do off the reservation. What to Trump's benefit or, or what I will give him credit for, it's the only thing I'll give him credit for is that he got the FDA to blow up all of their regulations and fast track the, that's really all he's done at this point. Which he's, isn't without the rest of his team has been actively involved, right? Which isn't without its risks. I mean, we could talk about the vaccine and about how scary it is that they're, you know, bypassing some of the traditions of testing, you know, of of letting it all play out the trial, you know, process. Yeah. But yeah. one thing you kind of mentioned uh, about the global economic uh, setup is there anything with? Do you believe even a sliver of truth in what Trump says about? You know, we've been getting bullied maybe by people across the the world, especially like namely with the U.N. You know, he talks about the U.N. and he talks about how we pay way more than our fair share of of it. Do you know, do you believe that there's any benefit to the type of rhetoric? I don't know how to word this. I mean, obviously, the answer is no when it's coming out of him because the way he approaches it, I guess. Is there anything on a positive note about Trump's economic plan that we can learn from and take? And then you know alter to make it less aggressive. Well, yeah, no. The, the the what you take away from Trump Trump's economic plan is that it didn't work. We're we're we have the highest uh, deficit of all time. We've just done nothing but piss off all of our trade partners. The China thing is interesting, and that we're going to have to adapt something there. But the fact is, Trump's own family manufactures everything they do in China. We're not going to put that genie back in the bottle. I mean, I'm being pragmatic here. I'm not saying this is what I want. But the fact is, we're never going to come back to American manufacturing. There's not a thing we buy today at all that isn't a textile, maybe. But anything electronic, any car, any anything that all of the parts are made in China or Indonesia or whatever. They're assembled here, maybe. Sometimes they're assembled here, but that's not manufacturing in the old school. That doesn't bring it back. That doesn't do anything. The problem we're going to have, really, that I think we have to deal with China isn't trade embargo. It's their fossil fuel use. 
it's the, the way that they manufacture all this stuff. And the reason that we're able to keep everything so inexpensive over the, you know, as far as the trade part, uh, getting stuff there and back is because they, <laughs> they don't do anything that's safe or anything that's good for the world. So between China and India, there's going to be some, there's going to have to be some changes, you know, at some point. How that plays out, I don't know. You know, I do know that it's a world, it's a world economy. We are tightly wound. And the fact that, that Trump completely disconnected from the European Union and every, I mean, it's, abominable you know what what where we ended up so he you know that stuff the good news is the flags of happiness went up to such a degree uh the day after the election where all of the eu guys came out and you know congratulated biden the chinese congratulated Biden. everybody congratulated biden and the the only people that didn't were the likely suspects for the potentates that Trump's buddies with. You know, it's like they don't want to see that. So yeah, it's going to sure, be interesting. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that the Philippines and Brazil, they're like, this is not good. You know, you know, like dictators. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, Putin and Turkey right. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Putin actually is. It sounds like stepping down. You know, uh, you know, we'll see. You can never believe anything, but there's been some talk of Parkinson's. We'll see what happens. Anyway, so you would. What's your gift riding shirts around, or riding horses without shirts in, would, the, in the steps? You know? I would imagine that's what he does every day, not just that one photo. <laughs> no, but uh, so the, the transition has been, uh, or not the transition, the, the claims of voter fraud and all that stuff has been really interesting to watch. Rudy Giuliani. I wanted to talk about Rudy Giuliani, this monster of a human being. Uh, his, I mean, one of my friends, my friend's wife, um, uh, Julia, had posted something that I thought was really funny that she said, so we're just supposed to act. I mean, she's like, every day something new, and we're just supposed to act when the president's personal attorney's head is leaking, that we're just supposed to be like, yep, this is normal. <laughs> This is normal, you know. So he, you know, his hair dye was dripping down the side of his face, and it made for a yeah. pretty graphic photo. That is HD has not been good to Rudy Giuliani, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah but, I just I said that it was the last shred of decency leaking out of his mind. You know, it was yeah. that was it. He has none. No, the funny thing is that you know people. I go with these trends. I go with these gut feelings, but they're usually based on facts. They're usually based on stuff. I am relatively pragmatic when I come to a decision and I am apolitical, believe it or not. I'm not, you know, as you and I have talked about, I hate both parties at this point, you know, without getting off on a tangent, I'm not wild about Pelosi coming back, but whatever the case is, the point is every time I see that Rudy Giuliani is in charge of something, I just plain giggle and rub my hands together because it, I know that it's going to blow up and be yeah. just a complete massacre of anything that makes sense. You know, I mean, it, going back to Putin, when Putin actually came out and disavowed all of the Ukrainian stuff that Rudy was trying to push, that was an interesting little twist that not, a lot of people didn't pick up on. But he was just like, no, come on. This is this doesn't even hold up in Russian standards. Right. You know? I mean, he's insane. I don't know. I mean, just the fact if we that, wanted to do this, we'd deal these people. The, just the fact that the former uh, mayor of New York City is the president's personal attorney. It seems like such a step down. You know, he's tried to run. I mean, he's tried to run for president. I mean, he's the epitome of a goon you know, at this point where he's just like, I'm just going to go do the dirty work and he'll just, just lie, 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 whatever. I mean, politicians lie. That's, yeah. that's one thing, but God, like you said, when you watch Julian, you're like, okay, whatever he's saying, I'm going to think the opposite. And it's that simple. I mean, cause he's so out of control. Well, plus, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a, an absolute maelstrom of insanity. The stuff that comes out of his mouth, isn't I mean it's not even up to Trump standards. Trump usually finds one or two talking points because that's about what his brain can handle. But he'll do one or two talking points and then he'll hammer them home. It's, it just goes and goes and goes. He never lets go. A phrase will stick and it'll just go forever. Giuliani is like this 
somebody's feeding him this crazy irrational stream of stuff and he's just blowing it out and it, it, he doesn't i'm not sure he even hears what he's saying half the time because it's hilarious that my cousin Vinny thing was funny but it wasn't nearly as bizarre as when he got you know going off in the venezuelans and it's like good lord dude i mean really it you think our security there. is that bad huh okay it good. gets out there and you're in charge so that brings me to a good segue into the division in the country. I was going to do this in the other order because we're going to talk about moderates versus progressives, but let's talk about Democrats versus Republicans first. You know, one of the things with Giuliani that I wonder, and with all of these lawsuits that have been thrown out and laughed out of court, it sounds like by oh yeah, the Trump, thing from Pennsylvania that yesterday right, was the Trump brutal. team like oh, you know, my God. bringing these lawsuits and the courts are like, what are you doing? Like you have zero evidence here. And then Giuliani, like, you know, just goes and babbles about these allegations. Do you think that they think that it's going to stick or do you think that they're just trying to create a diversion so that they know the end game is that Biden is going to be appointed and then Trump, it's everybody's view is that he's probably going to create his own TV channel, which is just, I mean, it's just going to, I hope he does. Well, I, I don't know. I'm torn, I guess. This is where I'm at with this because you've got this QAnon section of the Republican Party that has basically been told all these lies. And that's where a lot of this, this Rudy Giuliani stuff comes from. It comes from like, you know, QAnon type stuff, far right. It's, it's Bannon and Stephen Miller. Right. I mean, that's exactly. a, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've basically painted. I mean, I've talked to people that I respect and I've had some some serious arguments on social media. All of us have with people that are more conservative that I respect. And they at the end of the day, when they're talking to me, they're like, yeah, but Democrats are evil. And I'm like, how can you say that? Now, I understand this comes a little bit as hypocrisy, because if I, I, I never say Republicans are evil, I'm at least willing to acknowledge that their political goal the reason that they're executing the plan that they're doing is because they have a goal. They have an end game and it's power or whatever it is. My point being the they've, they've convinced themselves. I mean, how do you combat people that believe in there's no facts and they believe that Democrats eat children, like quite literally, you know, you know what I mean? You, you know, there's no combating it. You can't, no, you can't. I mean, here's, I mean, we're going to kind of, cross into a couple of topics here, but the reality is I've lost a couple of really good friends that, I mean, really good friends, like 30 year friends over QAnon. I've, my, my daughter has a friend that has gone completely off the rails that we cannot, she, she just said, okay, we're not going to talk politics at all because I, it, I get too upset so that we can be friends in every other way. That's all one thing. Here's the thing. You started the conversation, you started this topic by saying Democrats versus Republicans. That doesn't exist anymore. It's not, it's just not there. Yeah. The, the, the Republicans are too divided. They're too fractionalized in regards to what I call legitimate Republican Party folk, which are the old conservative types. As an example, I have a friend of mine, Jack Roberts, who was high up in the Oregon State uh, uh, administration. He was, I believe, he was in charge of. Um, well, gosh, he was involved. He was all over the place. Jack has been around. He was a, he was a county commissioner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He is a dyed in the wool, real deal Republican who did not vote for Trump, could not vote for Trump. He and I have had some really nice exchange. Is we believe a lot of the same things. As I get older, I become more kind of conservative middle of the road. And he's, you know, the Trump thing has just blown up anything that he can do in regards to accepting this new form of Republican. So that guy isn't a what you're calling the Republicans. The Republicans are the bat shit crazy folk that are so stuck in one way or another that they can't come out. The Democrats have always been divisive. They've always been able to set their their primary, you know, save the whales, whatever whatever it is that they're that jacked up about, that's that there's primary thing in life. They can set it aside enough to get somebody elected. What we're seeing now is some division in, in the Democratic Party that is becoming deeper and deeper and deeper and not unlike the QAnon folks on the other side. Because what I'm hearing from a lot of the, the I'm going to call them uber progressive, 
is that it's a conspiracy and the fix is in and, and we'll never win and these guys are doing this and it's all from the top and the man has to go down and blah, 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 blah. Well, I have news for you. The, the actual people in, in, in power right now um, are now shifting more to the middle because they know they have to. And a case in point, I brought it along. I told you about this. AOC on the cover of Vanity Fair. You need to read this article. AOC, who is kind of the queen of progressives, really, if, if you ask the, the average progressive, you know, what, uh, what do you think? If you look at what she's doing now, she's moving away from the, the extreme, you know, the extreme Bernie, Bernie, Bernie side to things that can get done. Right. And that's I, imperative. I was wondering where you're going to go with that, with AOC. Yeah. It, yeah. Because, because I was hoping that you weren't going to trash her because she's ex- extremely savvy. Not at all. No, no, no. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad to hear your perspective on this a little bit because I do believe that she is the future of democratic politics and and it may not currently be the situation she's super young and you know but she's tough and then the way that she will go after everybody it's not about you know she talks about corruption the things that she's trying to call out there's a lot of sound bites with with certain people about oh they're gonna ban cows and all this crap you know But at the end of the day, when you watch her do her job, she's incredible. And she actually is fighting for her constituents, unlike very many people that we see. And if we have if we have people on the right, I may disagree with their politics, but I'm going to use a Ben Sass, for example, from Nebraska. Ben Sass mm-hmm. will stand up for what he believes and he will call out. He'll say, speak truth to power. Because right. th- if we have leaders like that, we can get back to some kind of normalcy. We can get back to having some kind of integrity. Because I truly yes. believe in the duality in the two-party yeah. system because it keeps its checks and balances, you know, and it keeps everybody from going too crazy. So it's interesting to see AOC yeah, in your eyes. In some respect, in some respect, I mean, I agree with you in some respect. I, I'm radical and I'd like to abolish the two-party system completely because of what you're talking about. You have to start bringing people up to get the job done. And it's, it's the two party system that's given us the Pelosi's and the Mitch McConnell's, et cetera, on both sides that are extremes because they're, they, they're trying to get reelected. They're trying to, you know, pander to their base. The thing I like about AOC and a number of Republicans, quite frankly, uh, as well, is that they have stopped playing the I have to be, you know, pander to the base thing. We saw some of the ugliest pandering ever with Lindsey Graham and McConnell, all these guys, when they looked like they were actually on the hot seat of maybe not getting elected, it was ugly. It was, it was, you know, pull the curtain back. This is who this guy really is kind of stuff. AOC can be the voice of this new younger generation of leaders, but we need more of them. So that there's a broader class. We need some on the Republican side too that are not iconoclastic, you know, rhetoric spewing morons. They are people that are actually trying to get things done. And here's what I like about Biden, and I've said it a million times. The very first thing he did right was to select a person that he that absolutely undid him in a debate. And that is something that Trump could never do in a million years, not in a million billion years. He said, you know what? This young lady is smart. She, what she said was good. I learned from it, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we, we've, we've heard all the, all the rhetoric of why he chose Kamala. But what we have is that works across the aisle, has always worked across the aisle and knows how the politics work. So I think that whether or not we're dealing with Democrats and Republicans or progressives and or QAnons or I don't even know what they call themselves the extreme right these days. They're not conservatives. They're not anything. They're, they're, they're their own box. But bottom line is, at some point, we are facing enough global issues and economic issues and the kinds of things that can really destroy this company or country company. <laughs> that was Freudian. Right. Um, but, you know, that, that if they don't start working together, we're never going to get it done. This this latest thing of relief that's still stalled after months now is case in point. People need that relief package now. Yeah, and it's I don't get. This is a horrible winter. Yeah, I don't know what's here. happening with unemployment currently because I you know I got unemployment when 
we had the two month shutdown and then I went back to work and I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to push through and we're still there. We had flirted with delayed. Yeah. We, we were flirting with the idea of taking the month of December off uh, for in solidarity with some of the other businesses. We're actually going to go ahead and push through because we're so like you, we talked about the beginning of this. We've been taking every precaution in the barbershop. I feel like closing the shop would only hurt people that just want a haircut. You know, we're so, I mean, there's, it's so valuable for people to go out and and be social. And it's one of the things that I benefited from being in the barbershop. Now, the point is, is that with this unemployment and then uh, freezes on rent, which doesn't, it just accumulates. I mean, a lot of people are like, I don't have to pay my rent this month. I'm like, oh no, you do. You just have to pay it later. And so, I mean, you know, I was able to, uh, if, and one thing that if you are listening that you can do this, if you have a car payment and you do it through a credit union, especially but and major banks are doing it as well. You can call them and be like, look, I can't make my car payment. And they'll, they'll, you know, put it back a month and you still like your interest, but you're not, you're not, I mean, they'll work with you. So there's a lot of stuff happening, but the rental freezes mixed with the cares act is expired at, at this point. I think it leave, it's done in December. And so the extra bonus of however much a month or a week is going to be gone. And I don't think people understand what's coming. I think we're going to see the biggest, increase in homelessness that we've ever seen. I think there's going to be, if we don't take this serious, you have people with COVID now. I read in today that in Vancouver, that they uh, there was an anti-mask shopping day where everybody got together and we're like, we will shop without masks. And it's like, you're murdering people, dude. Like you're literally, you know, so if we don't take this COVID thing serious, We're going to see people dying in the streets because hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. And that's not doom and gloom fear tactics. That's a, that's a, yeah. It's interesting because you were my guest. My, my uh, future son-in-law, I see my future son-in-law works for the VA hospital up in Portland and he has, he's the lead guy for all of this stuff in regards to their trauma care. And so he knows what's going on in the state. And he also works, he does shifts over at Seaside as, as a way to help out over there because they're shorthanded. You can't believe the numbers. I mean, most of these places have got two or three beds. There's something like 17 available beds in all of the Portland metro area right now. 17 yeah. in the Portland metro area. So we are we are seeing... You know, people that are saying, I'm tired of this, I can't do this anymore, there's this fatigue, blah, blah, blah. The reality is, this Thanksgiving thing, the um, the shop season, all of this, with people going inside and, and being forced indoors because it's cold now, it's it's going to get way, way oh, yeah. worse. But yeah. you, to your point, to your point, we're seeing huge increases in emergency food boxes in uh you know homelessness in people that are 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 for the first time homeless and they don't know how to do it you know it's it's really really scary out there and the joblessness thing they keep saying the economy is coming back no the economy came back because a bunch of of people that weren't getting you know sustainable income type jobs anyway were brought back to do a bunch of grunt work and so the numbers said, oh, no, all these jobs came back. No, a bunch of people came back and got one of the three jobs they used to have. You know, it's this is the numbers well, don't play and out because of the unemployment benefits. It, I mean, this is this is where I fight back with people when they talk about we have to be anti-socialist in our political arguments. What worked during this whole COVID situation was democratic socialism. I mean, these, these situations where people were suffering that we give them money, we give them, I mean, a lot of people were making more money on unemployment than they made before. And people will say that. And usually it's the people that make a couple dollars an hour more that are that mad about it because they're like, what about me? You know, but the reality is that it's like, this is saving our country because it props up people, keeps them home, keeps them satisfied. The CARES Act was extremely successful in helping people. There's a ton of flaws with it. There's a ton of, you know, buyout or, or corporations that benefited. That's disgusting. And we could be here all day to talk about that. But, you know, this is what's so frustrating is, is they talk about the Democrats. They never do the do nothing Democrats. The reality is, is that they've already passed a second round of CARES Act through the Congress. And Mitch McConnell right. refuses because he's a little turtle that he refuses. I don't know what's going on with his hands. Maybe he can't write on any. He can't sign anything. No, but uh, 
he's just an obstructionist period he's an obstructionist from the get-go and i actually so when we talk about this argument progressive versus versus moderates inside of the democratic party and the and the kind of on the president situation, yes, I agree that maybe moderate was the right answer. Down ticket, I believe progressive is the right answer. And there's no question. And here's why I think that. In Kentucky, we saw Booker Brooker, I think is his name, Char- Charlie Charles Brooker, that was running against Amy McGrath in the primary that could have unseated Mitch McConnell. Now, a little bit too little too late for Brooker that he was he was pushing really hard and almost took you know, took out Amy McGrath. And then once it went to the general, there was no excitement. There was no excitement right. for that candidate. Right. So when and we that talk- was part of the problem though, is that they, we watched them again, eat their young, you know, eat, eat one another, cannibalize right. one another, just like our two years, stupid. So I just, I just it's important to know, to say when we, a lot of times when I have you on to talk about politics, we're covering a national uh, topic, you know, one of the th- you you mm-hmm. seem to cover a lot of national stuff and and be interested in national politics on a local level. I think pushing progressive ideas, you know, uh, especially in Lane County, because the number one issue in Lane County is houselessness and the cost of living uh, or of housing, because there right. is zero affordable housing. I have two stepsons. One is 18 and one is 20. They're in and out of trying to stay here at their dad's, but they're also trying to to find an apartment and they're trying to trying to make it work. And it's just impossible. It's not the same way it was when we were 18, when you were 18, it was, you guys went to school in like a schoolhouse with six people or wherever it was, but uh, on a little house on the prairie. No, but, but uh, so I don't know. I'm just kidding, but it's yeah. just, it's just so much different, you know, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing goes. You know, the Trump transition into the Biden thing, I think it's hurting things, but at the end of the day, Nothing that Trump is going to do is going to benefit the you know the Biden administration. I'm I have I'm confident in Biden's ability to appoint reasonable people. Uh, I know that there's been some gripe from the progressives that a couple of the appointees are, you know, have been basically in their minds bought and paid for by oil companies. But I don't think it's that simple. I don't think that just because no. somebody donates to your campaign that's an oil company that means that you you cave to them, because the way that politics work in this country. I know I had a girlfriend years ago that was a college student at the U of O, that she uh, was a geophysics major. She published theories that there was water on Mars. She was extremely accomplished. She was the keynote speaker at her own graduation, and she was paid her schooling. Uh, for grad school was paid for by by an oil company. And she told them flat out, I'm not going to go yeah. work for Exxon. And the reason I bring that up yeah. is that just because somebody pays for you, they're like hoping they're crossing their fingers and they have, they do this as a tax deduction in a way that they manipulate them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's well, not they, that they, cut and dry. Companies of that size sprinkle money everywhere. I mean, the same with the NRA, everybody else. What we need to do is go back to the open laws where you could see exactly who donated where and which packs and, and open that same box with the packs, the pack money, because that money is as dirty as it comes. That, that's where you can hide millions and millions of dollars from individual donors that can't do it any other way. But where, what it keeps coming back to is that none of these issues are black and white at all. No, they are not left not or right. Anymore. They are not anything. And, and we've got to get out of that box of labeling people. What you, what, how you label people in my estimation from now, from now on is what have you done? What are you doing? What do you want to get done? That's what I, that's all yeah. I care about. So this whole thing of being branded and carrying around the extreme left or the extreme right or the whatever, that gets you elected, then what? Who cares? I mean, again, term limits, you need those, you know, there's a bunch of this stuff. So anyway, you know, we, we, we're meandering a bit, but yeah. 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 Well, uh, you know, I, I wanted to have you on just to kind of discuss some of the different things before we get out of here. I want to mention the Georgia Senate race. This is basically going to decide the future direction of our country, at least the, the near future. Uh, do you have a prediction in Georgia? I mean, there's two seats. If the Democrats pick up both, then it's a 50-50 split in the Senate, which means that Kamala Harris would be the tie-breaking vote, which means right. that he would probably make Obamacare uh, include the public option, which means that, you know, just all these different things that that are are maybe not the – I want health care, uh, Medicare for all, but if that's not going to happen, we need the next best thing, you know. But what is yeah, your take I- on Georgia? 
I, you know, to be honest with you, I think we'll be lucky to pick up one of the seats. Um, if we pick up two, it'll be a, a godsend. I'm not as, um, I, I, I hate to say this because I may have to eat my words. I'm not as down about if we don't get those, we'll never get anything done again. Because again, I think this administration is known for working across the aisles. They're inside the box. Kamala Harris is a senator. She knows these people. You're talking She's about the, sa- the Biden the, the George- yeah. yeah, I'm talking about the rest of what happens after Georgia, one way or the other. If we get both seats, great. We might be able to get some stuff done. But may I remind people that we have a supermajority after uh, Obama was elected and got nothing done and saw the Affordable Care Act get watered down to such a degree because of Pelosi and Reid and people like that. So I don't have a lot of faith in anybody getting anything done. If you look at the track record of Congress over the last 12 years, or 20 years for that matter, but certainly the last 12, it's not great, you know, period. And including the time that Obama was, you know, doing well. The thing that gives me hope is that Biden works across the aisles. Kamala Harris has been in there. Um, The kinds of people they'll be working with understand the grave uh, importance of getting something done. And I think that (laughs) if God actually keeps working at this, McConnell will get COVID. You know, there's just, some of these people need to go away. You know, that's, that's all there is to it. They're flat out obstructionists. Fox News needs to go. I mean, you could, I could really go down the road of what our real problems are and why they are what they are. So prediction. So, so I want to say my prediction of what we're going to see in the next couple of years. I think Trump is finally going to lose. And I think that we might actually see Fox doing some things that kind of save this. This is bold that could potentially save the country because Trump is going to go after Fox. Trump is going to create his own team, his own TV channel. And and so this is the direction of the future of the GOP. I don't think that Trump or that Fox is going to go down the QAnon maybe with some of their people, but I think that we're going to see a shift in the way that Fox does things. It's going to be Fox versus Trump. And so they're not going to have time to be attacking the AOCs as much, even though it's for ratings. We'll see. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. I've been wrong every time before, so there's no reason to listen to my predictions, but. Well, do you, you want a broadcaster's view on that? Sure. Remember, sure. remember my whole world's from broadcasting. Yeah. So I think, I think that again, what I watch is, is trigger points and things that make you go, whoa. And you, and you, and you take a look at the deeper reasons for them. So in this last couple, three weeks, what we've seen is Fox, come out and be the first one to to call Arizona during the election. You saw them come out and and call all Georgia. They call I mean down the road, they were calling before the AP. They were calling, you know, before a lot of other news organizations. But more importantly, when you read how they phrase things, and I posted one thing on Facebook where I just kind of went, oh, my God, you know, because it, it came out and said, look, all of Trump's stuff is about, is, is uh, baseless and has no, no, it's not even connected to reality. And, it, you know, when Tucker Carlson starts going, well, I don't know, this, this seems a little crazy, you know. Now you've got kind of everybody except for you know, Sean Hannity, who's well, yeah. totally broken. He's, he's, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of guys that, that basically have to go with the Fox old school ship because they aren't smart enough to do anything else. Right. But bottom line is Fox is shifting. You can feel the shift happening. They're shifting toward the middle a little bit because they realize they can't make it on just the crazies because they lost a ton of their, their most ardent viewers when they started calling the election early. Yeah. So these guys are going to look for the Trump thing. You're, you're kind of forgetting one little detail that may or may not implode Trump's plan. That's called the Southern district of New York well, and, and the and we can, entire mess that he's involved with taxes. Right. I think that's going to keep him very busy. That's when Ivanka true. came out, you know, came out yesterday, basically 
sounding like her dad saying that this is basically a witch hunt and how, how come they're they're being intrusive in our business practices it's like yeah well because you broke the law you know you you this is the same group of people that could no longer ever have a nonprofit organization because right. they were sanctioned by the state of New York. Well, Anthony you know? Scaramucci, who has been really interesting to see him do it. There you uh, go. The Anthony Scaramucci uh, was the, for 11 days, was the press secretary for the White House under Trump. And he's been doing the rounds. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, you know, I actually like Anthony Scaramucci. I, again, he's the type of person, I believe, that if you disagree on policy, that's fine. You can have those conversations, but he's a reasonable yeah. human being at the end of the day. That's what it seems like. At least, you know, there's the Mitt Romney's yeah. there's the people that I actually can disagree with on policy, but I actually respect, but Anthony Scaramucci was drilling that point home. He's like said exactly the same thing. He said, Donald Trump is going to be pretty busy come January 21st. And it's literally yeah. going to be that fast. You know, well, he knows. Yeah. He knows a lot of the inside stuff and, regards to the business and the tax codes and those kinds of things. What's interesting is I think people lumped Scaramucci in with, with uh, Giuliani and that ilk. He's not that guy. No. You know, he's, he, he actually went to college and worked hard and actually did really well and actually did go to VA school and actually did, you know, he didn't have anybody shilling for him like Trump did. He's a guy that's self-made. He's a guy that's worked hard to get to where he is. And he understands financially, but he also understands the ins and outs of, of maneuvering in crisis. This is a guy that actually surprises me every time I see him. I've seen him probably nine or 10 times in the last four or five weeks. And even before the election, you know, he, he surprised me over and over again to the yeah. place where it's like, yeah, okay, this, the mooch knows what's going on. Right. And I'm telling you what, you know, if you follow what's been going on in the Southern District of New York and the IRS, they are sitting on this for a reason. Right. They, do, they don't want to drop it in, and allow Trump to give himself a bunch of pardons. They're going to wait and see what happens, you know, on the 21st. Like, Well, said. that's what Scaramucci was talking about. The last thing that I saw, he was talking about how he, there's been some mumbling behind the scenes that he's heard. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, so I could botch this a little bit, but but he yeah. said that that he was basically hearing of a deal where Trump would like, okay, I'd, I'd be willing to talk transition if you can talk kind of uh, working towards uh, eliminating some of the prosecutorial, you know, stuff with right. the district, which I don't even think that 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 really covers. And he addressed this as well. I don't think the federal government has any jurisdiction over what the the Southern District of New York does. They don't you know. And so, I mean, this is the irony about this whole Trump thing is, is that it's like, do you even know how things work? Do you even know, like, you know, the Republican party yeah. forever has been states rights, states rights. And that's been always about that. And, you know, Trump is like, if you don't, if the state doesn't do what I want, then the federal government will just say to hell with you. You know, he wants to be King. And yeah, well, no, I think that this latest, this latest development of watching this parade of people being summoned, you know, the electors being summoned and they're all going to the White House and coming away saying, hey, uh, sorry, we're not changing anything. Right. Sorry. You know, this has got to be the most humiliating thing that he's ever gone through. I, there's a joke. I, I don't know if I told you this joke. I got to relay uh, the Jack Roberts actually passed along, which I thought was hilarious. So Trump goes to to. Uh, Pence and says, look, Mike, here's the deal. This is getting bad. I'm going to resign. I, I'm going to resign, but I'm going to resign and make you the president if you give me a pardon for everything that's happened in the past and anything that they may uncover in the future. Do we have a deal? Mike kind of sits there and says, mm, sure, I think, yeah. Yeah. So two days later, Trump comes and he says, look, I've, I've submitted my resignation. Here, all I need you to do is sign this piece of paper. And Pence says, well, about that, mommy and I prayed last night. Right. And you just leave it there. Right. <laughs> because Pence has been very, very silent. He has not been part of this, this denial train at all. He's been off the radar. Yeah. So I mean, in his career. It's going to be interesting. His career is over. A lot of the people's careers are over that were, were in the last two years of this administration or maybe a year. 
a lot of the people that were on board at the end, because they're all yes men, you know. I mean, some of the people early on that were yeah. jumping ship really fast, they may still have a place. And obviously, there's also careers created out of that. Scaramucci's case in point. You know, you got guys yeah. like John Bolton, who I still think is a vile human being, but he's doing the rounds in an anti-Trump thing, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting. He goes into that Lincoln project area i don't think he's involved with that but he goes into that area where he's he's like look i still don't like the democratic party but joe biden is the candidate we need right now which that doesn't bode well for progressives anyway we got to get out of here so pat okay. it's always a good you know treat to chat with you we've had some serious delay with this episode and i'm glad that we made it through because i was i was we were hanging up there a few times so if you're listening and you made it this far shout out to you for dealing with some of that you know it's a <laughs> It's a digital world and uh, the Zoom calls are what they are. I mean, we make the best of it, but at least we're not spreading spreading COVID. So uh, I'm going to end this with a song. And I chose this song uh, because it kind of covers what we're talking about. Plus, he was my number one, my first guest, Ender One. So this is a, a song Ender One made. The video is on YouTube, and I'm sure that you can find it on his website. There'll be a link in the show notes to enderone.com. The song is called One Heartbeat. And it's basically about the division in the country and I'll let the song speak for itself, but it's, it's very timely and a very, very heavy, heavy, heavy hitting song. So I chose this to end this because I think coming up at the end of the year, we're seeing a, a very wounded country and I, and I really want to find ways that we can, we can get past some of these political things and try to love each other again. And it's really difficult when we can't even be with each other. So we have a lot of work to do in this country, but Patrick Miller, thanks a lot for, for doing this. This is Two Pats in a Pod, Volume 3 on the Spent the Rent podcast. Shout out to my sponsors. Uh, this is Ender One with One Heartbeat. Nowadays there's so much that I could write. It's hard to know exactly what to write. And I don't think any dictionary has the right words to describe how I'm feeling inside. Because it's like, what's today's pandemic or disaster? Who's the latest black man killed by cops? Got a new meme so we can have some laughter Like this world's funny, even when it's not But I still laugh just to cover up Besides these knots I feel inside my gut I'm standing up now, I've lied down enough And I'm not buying what these liars want to disguise as love They tell you if you vote, it'll change things And if you don't, then you won't get a say in things So either way, you're controlled by the way of things Lesser of two evils or face the shame it brings Seems pretty fair, doesn't it? Hey, I don't make the rules. They have the government, they say to vote and exercise our right to choose. But is it really a choice? If they control who, that's like saying pick a card when I'm only holding two. And I know they're both jokers, so the joke's on you. So what's my political stance? I got a middle finger on both hands because I don't want to play the games we play. I don't want to say what they say I should say. And I don't want to go. Where they say I should go or do what I'm told Cause you say it is so See maybe it's me, but that isn't free My life ain't as black or as white as you see I won't turn to leave, I vow solemnly To live life as if we have one heart Be like, ba-bum-ba-bum One heart be like, ba-bum-ba-bum One heart be like, ba-bum-ba-bum One heart be just you and me One heart and some people already clicked away And I get it, cause most can't take this talk I almost didn't say this, went to erase but pause Cause just ignoring pain never once made it stop See I don't do this for a playlist or blog I don't do it for a cosign or A-list or not I speak my mind, whether it entertains you or not Like skin, sometimes I wish I could take mine off How could you not relate? Taking this thought Humans were made into slaves and were bought And even children were shackled into chains that were locked And we still got the nerve to minimize the pain that it caused We only think about who's famous or not But think about the names that never got a grave or a plot We wanna say it was the old days But it was not, cause almost daily I see minorities Tased or shot by a guy who looks like me But he's a racist cop just doing what he's learned his hate was taught and i'm not saying all cops are the same so stop i think being police is probably the bravest job there's always a few bad seeds when you're laying down crops but wait by that logic a train of thought trade shoes for a second rearrange the plots what if you were hated for this skin you were gave by god and i judged you before i knew your name or not guilty and the gavel 
could be mace or a glock or a simple judging stare on a face as you walk into a grocery store the next day you go to shop yeah to acknowledge that could take a lot but it's really simple are we willing to change or not that's why i spread my own wings i won't chase a flock that's why i don't wear chains i'd rather break the locks Cause while you typed up a storm in the last Facebook debate you lost, politicians were changing laws. But who the f am I to say? But what I do say, I say because. I don't wanna play the games we play. I don't wanna say what they say I should say. It. I don't wanna go where they say I should go. Or do what I'm told, cause you say it is so. See, maybe it's me, but that isn't free. My life ain't as black or as white as you see. I won't turn the leaf, I vow solemnly to live life as if we had one heartbeat.